Our second reading continues the Gospel of Luke. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hand on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And not ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house. We've gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. I was in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, Thursday and Friday, visiting a good friend. This good friend is also a pastor, and he's also on the Narrative Lectionary, so of course we started talking about our sermons. And I am completely stealing this first part from him because it fits so well with what I had come up with. And we were along similar lines, but he said he was going to start his sermon with a thought experiment. He said, imagine there were a hundred people who were selected to ask God a question. And they got up to heaven and St. Peter said, I'm going to divide you on what type of question you're going to ask. Now, all the people who are going to ask a who question, come over here. And the people who want to ask who is the Antichrist, who really was the beloved disciple, who was uh, Mary Magdalene really, all went over there. And he said, now, if you're going to ask a when question, go over here. And the people who said, wanted to know when is Christ going to come again, or when was Christ really born, they all went over there. And the people that wanted to ask a how question, like how did Christ's death really redeem us, they went there. And then they got to the why question. And that's where 97 of the 100 people would go. Because if we all had a question to ask God, I think most of us would ask why. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? In theological terms, it's known as theodicy. The theology of suffering, of why bad things happen to good people. Why, when I am a good person, 
do I suffer? Whether it be from disease, depression, infertility, tragedy. These questions are, every time there's a national tragedy, these questions are brought up. There's a school shooting. There's a hurricane. The 9-11. And some people try to answer it. It's God's wrath because we are a sinful nation. Well, in Jesus' time, people had the same questions. And Jesus was teaching and people went up to Him and asked Him why. Today's scripture reading starts with people going up to Jesus and saying, Did you hear about the Galileans whose blood was mingled with that of their sacrifices? And this sounds like a tragedy, but it's even more so. Because the only people, the Jew, place the Jewish people could rightfully make sacrifices was in the temple. So these were priests who were slaughtered in the temple. This isn't just a political crime. It's a religious crime. It's a tragedy. Think along of Mother Emmanuel, the, the people that were shot as they gathered for prayer. And then someone else says, and what about the power, the tower over in Siloam that fell and killed 18 people? Why did that happen, Jesus? And Jesus returns with a question. Well, do you think they were more sinful than other Galileans? Do you think that's why it happened? Unless you repent, your fate will be the same. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying this happened to them because they were sinful. I don't think Jesus is saying that this was divine retribution. But instead, I think Jesus is saying both these tragedies and all tragedies happen. That life is fragile. That we should, can go at any time. And instead, we should focus on our relationship with God. We shouldn't think about what might happen to us. But instead, we should repent and try to follow God as closely as possible. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was really struck with the image of the tower that collapsed and killed 18 people. Because it's so random. Those people just happen to be there. And we see this in life all the time. How many of us have seen a car accident and said, well, if I'd gone that route... That could have been me. In 1989, my dad flew out to California on business. If you remember, 1989, San Francisco was struck by a terrible earthquake and a bridge collapsed. My dad would have been on that bridge at that very time if he had not stopped to get a haircut. We hear stories from 9-11 all the time about the person who just barely missed their flight and wasn't on one of the planes that crashed. Or they had a business meeting and the Twin Towers canceled. Random tragedies strike. We've all been affected by them. We see young people killed in car accidents. In the past month, I've had three people close to me die due to cancer. 
And these are people that it could not have been prevented, that it could not have been caught earlier, that they did everything right. Life is fragile. Jesus then goes on to tell a parable about a fig tree in a garden. And the landowner says, this tree has not borne any fruit in three years. Dig it up. I could plant something else there. I could use that soil better. The gardener says, no. Let's give it one more year. Let's really put fertilizer on it. Let's really weed it. Let's really take care of it. And if it bears fruit, great. If not, we'll tear it up next year. Now, I'm sure this is terrible gardening advice, but it's great theological advice. When we ask why, we are asking the wrong questions. So often we want to ask why. Why did this happen to us? Or we want to ask how do we keep ourselves safe? Instead, we must ask, what can we do to bear fruit? Or better yet, who gives us life so that we can bear fruit? And we look to God. And we realize that this life might be fragile, but we are promised an everlasting life that cannot be destroyed, cannot be taken away from us. That if we focus on God, the rest of it becomes inconsequential. And that doesn't mean we don't weep. We don't mourn. We don't cry over tragedies. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But it means that we realize that there is a greater power at play. Something bigger than you and me watching over us, protecting us, advocating for us. The gardener in the vineyard is Christ. And we are the tree that doesn't bear fruit. And the the landowner wants to tear us up. But God says, no. Let's wait one more year. I know this tree could bear fruit. Let's manage the plant. Let's nurture it. Let's see what it can do. If it doesn't bear fruit next year, so be it. But if it does, wonderful. It is born fruit. We must remember that Christ is with us during the good times. But Christ is also with us during the tragedies. And Christ is with us everywhere in between. So many people think that to follow Christ means that you will have a perfect life and nothing could be further than the truth. We will still suffer loss and pain. But it means that we have our eyes set on something higher. During December and January, we love to tell the story of Christ's birth. Of the manger and the innkeeper and the shepherds and the wise men. But we don't talk about the slaughter of the innocents. There's no Christmas carols about that. It's not the most popular part of the Christmas story. 
But after the wise men visited Herod on their way to see the baby Jesus, Herod learned about this newborn king and was threatened. So he declared that all children, male children under the age of three will be put to death. Can you imagine a greater tragedy? Christ and his family fled to Egypt to be away from this, to avoid this. But Christ came back. And even in the face of this huge tragedy, Christ was still Emmanuel. Christ was still God with us. That in the face of weeping, and mourning and loss. God was with us. God wept with us. God mourned with us. The Galileans go to Christ asking, why did these tragedies happen? Why did Herod have the, or Herod have the blood mingled with the sacrifices? Why did he assassinate the priest? Why did this tower collapse killing 18 people? And Jesus doesn't answer it. Jesus doesn't coddle them. Jesus says, turn your focus from that to God. Trust that God is with you. Now and always. Amen.